This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing, of course, their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix, helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS offices in WeWork Oldgate. I'm Sarah Koshansky from 11FS, and today's show is another new show. I'm joined today by Nigel Walsh, who is back from his travels, including some time in Vegas. How are you doing, Nigel? How was uh, Vegas? It was Vegas. I'm not a fan of the place, but the show that we came from was unbelievable. So we're also joined uh, by somebody else who was in Vegas, uh, Dylan Bourguignon, the CEO and founder of Social. How are you doing today, Dylan? Mm, great. So do you want to give us an abbreviated version of your antics and please keep it clean? Well, what's in Vegas stays in Vegas, isn't it? <laughs> in this case, what stays in Vegas, what, what happened in Vegas tells everyone, I think. Um, so for those that don't know, InsureTech Connect is the largest gathering of InsureTech folks in the world. Three years ago, when Jay and I spoke about it, uh, Jay mentioned he wanted to organize a thousand people in Vegas to do talk about insurance. And I said, what a jolly that would be. No one's going to go. Um, his first question was, what was a jolly? So we got past that one. Um, but how wrong was I? So three years later, we've gone from a thousand people to six and a half thousand people, all talking about InsureTech and insurance, which was a, a phenomenal event uh, with some great speakers, both incumbents and new startups. Dylan, what was your view? Your first year or third year? No, I was first and third year. So actually in the third, in first year, Jay actually expected only 300 people and 1500 turned up. Maybe it was after your words of caution that he actually had uh, low expectations. This year was slightly insane in terms of the scale of the InsureTech event. I mean, it is the largest InsureTech event in the world. Um, I think my, what I took out of it as a European InsureTech entrepreneur is that, wow, we're ahead of it. <laughs> we really are ahead of the curve, which is quite refreshing considering that most tech um, that we know and love comes from the valley and makes its way eventually over to us. We actually are on the leading edge in terms of technology and insurance, new products, new models, um, and new applications to, to support uh, and disrupt and the insurance Europe's industry. well represented, right? There was over a thousand people from Europe out of a 6,000 person conference. So I think it's a really good representation. Normally you had um, stateside and it's all American or whatever else, but the representation from Europe was really good. Um, you had the folks like Daniel Schreiber again on stage from Lemonade talking about what Lemonade up to, are up to with Act 2. Uh, more news from those guys today, actually. And then people like Dan Glazer, the CEO uh, of Marsh. So again, hearing from a, a large-scale incumbent about why they should be partnering with um, InsurTechs. So that uh, is a nice segue into perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your own InsurTech, Dylan. What does SoSure do? So we address the fundamental problem of insurance, which is consumer trust. And we do so by providing lower cost of insurance and amazing claims experience. So to do that, we've actually redesigned the entire value chain of insurance um, to provide our customers with amazing experience when they claim. Now, our net promoter score and claims in the 70s. And if they don't claim, they can get up to 80% money back every year. So we launched two years ago um, with mobile phone insurance in the UK, but our ambitions are global across consumer lines. And um, we'll be kind of launching into home insurance next year as part of uh, the latest um, round of investment that we've just received, um, led by Briga Capital, which is a 3 million euro seed round, probably one of the largest in Europe. 
Thank you very much for the introduction. Thank you very much for giving us an overview of Vegas and for keeping it clean. And let's get on with the news. So the first story today comes from the Insurance Times. um, And the headline is, Beale reveals barrage of abuse after taking Lloyd's job. So this is a story about uh, the outgoing Lloyds of London boss Inga Beale, who um, has revealed that she received homophobic and sexist abuse after taking that job initially. She outlined the extent of the abuse uh, that after she that she had received at the time. Um, she told the Sunday Times that she received letters and messages from mail brokers and underwriters within Lloyd's. Um, another issue that Beale spoke of uh, within that interview was that female chief executives felt that they would almost certainly be replaced by men. So she herself is being replaced by a gentleman, one John Neal, who's the former chief executive at QBE. Um, and Beale's take on this was that male chairmen think that they've already been and done that. They've checked that box when hiring to do a woman to do a top job, and they don't then bother to hire anymore after that. So what are our thoughts on this? Um, we've talked before about sort of maybe some of the more archaic practices of Lloyds of London. Mm. I mean, I, I was I read this actually this morning. I was actually quite disappointed. And I think she was on the Marsh at the weekend, wasn't she? Uh, I was quite disappointed to read it, actually, and thinking, haven't we moved on from this? And whether you're in um, fintech, financial services, banking, insurance, wherever you are, I think the whole male-female discussion and debate is raging on and not necessarily always in a healthy way. Uh, but to hear this, I, I was actually generally saddened for, for Inga on this one. I think it's a disgrace, a really do. Not even just sexist abuse either. So um, Inga uh, revealed that she was uh, bisexual um, a few years ago and she has received not only sexist abuse, but homophobic. So double whammy um, of... I can only say it is the exception. It should, from the people I work with, it's the exception rather than the rule. The industry, all industries are modernizing and, and keeping up with times in different ways. I was chatting to another startup last week who said, we have everything here. We're proud of it. And it was lovely to hear. I just think times are changing. And this is uh, going back to when she started. It was a, a previous time, I hope. Yes, I mean, as, as for my uh, from my perspective, it's kind of it does feel a little bit symptomatic of the way that the insurance industry has lagged maybe some other industries, not necessarily in finance, but some other industries in modernising. Whether that is through the adoption of technology, um, you know, business processes, or even you know the the, the people who work within their um, you know within that environment. I really hope that she's wrong, that you know now she's stepped aside and a man's come in. She's not the last woman we see in charge there. I mean, like Nigel, it's just abysmal and it shouldn't be taking place in any realms of life whether insurance or not um so that's kind of an absolute i'd also like to be kind of mindful of kind of saying well you know oh there won't be another woman behind her so on two aspects the reality is of the industry it's incredibly male dominated as it stands so the probability that you have somebody who is um going to be taking that top job is going to be just because of the law of numbers there's a higher probability that ends up being a guy that said, um, I think they, there has been a strong movement in my view of in recruitment, uh, because recognizing that there is a very strong bias towards white middle class men, um, in the insurance, in the commercial insurance in this London market, that it is actually very proactively going out and, um, uh, and actually diversifying the the employee base in a constructive way rather than just saying a quota way is actually just a you know want to kind of uh, and doing so in in different ways whether it's even just you know not not recruiting necessarily at at a university level where there might already be a bias so even a, a creating apprenticeship schemes which uh, help um, in terms of actually um, recruiting more diversified backgrounds than just universities. So, but in the meantime, 
I think it's, it's sad, but it will be reality. It, that it's, it's not an industry. Issue. It's, it's not an industry issue in my mind. It's a generational issue across lots of things. It's not a day that goes by you don't see Sarah, Liz, and a hundred other people fighting the good fight about how we bring back parity or even start with parity. And I'm sure you'll jump in here. The irony of two middle class white men talking about this, but equally, you know, a husband to a really smart, uh, smart wife and a, a father to a, a daughter that will hopefully go into industry at some point in the future. So so I'm super passionate about this. I think the the positive side, if you thought that the, the end of the article talks about all the good things with what's happening with the diving festival that happened across the globe for all the insurance carriers is really, really strong message to say we've left our mark on, on the legacy that was there and we're doing some really, really cool things. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just to sort of the closing point from my from my perspective is that um, she felt like she could speak out about it and the Sunday Times published it as if it was a bad thing. So there would have been a time 10, 15 years ago where she would have said, oh, I got sexist abuse and they would have gone suck it up, love, because that's what happens when you're a woman in this industry. So at least we now have the recognition, um, you know, industry-wide and in fact nationally, because, it's you know, the Sunday Times is a huge national paper that this is wrong. Um, and that is a baby step. But it is a step in the right direction. And by the way, I think she's been instrumental in making that happen. Because actually, even within the insurance industry, there is a conversation which is taking place around diversity, which did not take place before she turned up at Lloyd's. So I think thumbs up to her for the great work that she's already done. Totally agree. Excellent impact. So our next story today um, comes from AXA XL. That still feels weird to say. (laughs) AXA XL has partnered with, and I'm going to say this wrong, Parcel, I think. That's correct. To offer enhanced marine risk prevention services. Um, So AXA XL announced it's working with Parcel, which is a Denver-based supply chain data platform that helps shippers, insurers, and their clients understand the quality of the conditions that sensitive or perishable products are kept in. So it works by sensors being placed alongside sensitive cargo. So, for example, uh, medicine that might that can't go out of a certain temperature or uh, fresh produce, providing insights into the travel of a product through the entire supply chain from the first mile to the last. Um, so AXRSL will use parcel sensors and its expertise um, in large-scale data mining, which is very important to analyse data such as location, temperature, light, humidity and movement impact on the cargo. It allows AXA XL to offer clients enhanced loss mitigation and risk prevention services, which makes sense. Helen Stanway, digital leader at AXA XL, added, with new data platforms like Parcel, we're now able to provide a more granular and contextual data set than has ever been possible. By combining IoT capabilities, such as the use of sensors and data visualization, along with our risk engineers' expertise, we can enhance the services we offer our clients. So this is, to me, it's just this collision of all the good things we keep talking about, right? It really is. And, and hopefully we won't use the word collision and marine uh, too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fact, AXA XL, you're right, it's difficult to say sometimes, um, have done some really cool things in the marine space already. So they were the first guys out there with the blockchain uh, pilot with Maersk and a few others. So they've done some work already in that space. This is almost the next iteration or the next generation of things moving on, leveraging all the good things that we've talked about on the show for the last God knows how long. In fact, Parcel were actually out in Vegas as well last week, demonstrating their wares and what they were up to. Really interesting concept. I mean, marine insurance in general is, is it can be quite complicated and knowing where the ship is, knowing what's on the ship and who owns the stuff in the containers should sound simple, but is unbelievably complicated. So things like this, where you can protect the cargo in a different way and getting all that insight is, it has to be a positive thing, but it's just IoT data at the end of the day, feeding into a new insurance policy. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that for me was most interesting was it wasn't just the IoT sensors or the data. It was the fact that um, it was there 
ability to analyze the data and Parcel's expertise in large-scale data mining. So that's been something that the bigger insurers have really struggled with. So they understand that they need new sources of data, but in you know a lot of the insurers uh, that we've had on the show just say, we don't know how to handle it. We don't know what to do with it. Like We know we need to do something, but it's beyond our capabilities. So the pairing of the two, to me, um, really makes me optimistic about the future success of this. Although isn't it kind of the, the, the issue that the incumbents have mostly had is the fact that the data, because they've got lots of data, they've got mm, yeah. vast arrays of data, the problem they have is not having it clean data to be able to analyze it in a systematic manner. Whilst if you've got a new startup, which is actually creating the data themselves and able to kind of analyze it at a kind of granular level, it, it, it's not... It's not rocket science. <laughs> no, but no, but, but I mean, the, the the problem with just having the IoT centers that provide the data is that you know, Axel will be like, well, what do we do with that? They wouldn't even be at the level where they'd be able to handle that data. So the fact that there's two steps to this is to me what makes it interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not as um, despondent on the capabilities of the incumbents. Um, okay, I think there are some uh, some data analysts there that can be hired and are working and smartly with all sorts of new sources of data to actually be able to draw conclusions in a smart manner. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily see it as a, as a uh, massive d- differentiator. That said, having um, and capturing the data is deeply competitively defensible. The, the access to this data is unbelievable. So having access to this sort of stuff is, is huge, number one. Number two, the size of the sensor is really interesting at this point because I believe it's quite a, a, a smaller sensor, a sensor that can be placed in multiple places. Therefore, the cost of putting these things in is usually the prohibitive amount. Go back to car phones, 15 years ago when you used to get a box installed you have to have it physically installed now all that sort of stuff's gone away the same for UBI and telematics access to that ins- access to that data and then driving a real-time risk decision on the back of it is really really important the more carriers that can get that the sooner it becomes table stakes for everyone else and you're actually writing products writing products and policies that make a difference to the end user I mean I think we're um, we're going to come on to this later on but I think this is just you know um, one more very intriguing partnership in the beginning of many. I think we're going to see lots, lots more, you know, big, big insurers partnering with startups in an effective way, as opposed to a kind of like, well, we'll sign a, you know, an exploratory agreement and then faff around for six months and you hear nothing later. Um, but we will see. But I, IoT is that for everyone, right? Whether whether it's health, we've all worn Fitbits or Apple Watches or something that track our steps. Uh, news last week around John Hancock only stopping writing traditional life policies and only using policies now that we had uh, data off of a smartwatch, smartphone or Fitbit, whatever else was fascinating. It was a 156-year-old organisation that's basically saying all we can now do is take um, brand new data to drive new risks. So I think it's going that way, whether it's marine, whether it's health, whether it's telematics, uh, and it will become the new table stakes going forward. Uh, well, speaking of, you know, new table stakes, the next uh, article comes from Insurance Business Magazine, and it's Aviva takes on fraud with new tool. So um, the new tool uh, is a fraudulent behavior identification tool that allows Aviva to screen in real time more than half a million motor insurance quotes daily. We've moved the fight against claims fraud from detection to prevention, from the point of the claim to the point of sale, and from post-sale to real time, said Tom Garden, the head of fraud at Aviva UK General Insurance. We're finding 20% more fraud than previously went undetected. Um, by identifying suspicious behaviour at point of purchase, we've been able to provide our claims teams in more time to focus on genuine customers, providing a better claims experience whilst keeping our premiums low. So the example that this article gives is um, if a prospective policyholder tries to change their postcode in order to get a cheaper quote, so a policy in Inverness can be purchased for under £500 or one in Birmingham can cost over £4,000, good grief, uh, the new toll will identify anomalies for investigation 
Anaviva also went on to say that insurance brokers would benefit from the new fraud detection tool as well as it reduces their own exposure and potential negative impact on their business. So when I say table stakes, I mean, I feel like everybody's got a new fraud tool um, to help with claims fraud. So I'm, I'm delighted that they've finally woken up. Um, it's part of our DNA. We've started off with that. So we've detected and deterred fraud from day one. Um, or maybe they'll just one, but thereafter, um, which allowed, uh, allows us to provide a claims experience, which is unparalleled in the insurance industry. Our net promoter score it, it, on claims is in the seventies, similar to what Apple has. So, um, and this is insurance where it's normally negative. And that's because we recognize that the issue, one of the issues is actually the fraud aspect. And if you, at the moment, it's mostly deterred, uh, d- detected at point of claim as opposed to ahead of time. And so we've actually spent a lot of time and energy and technology, which we've patented, which uh, allows us to detect and deter fraud. I- I'm with you on this. It's, it's, if you've got 36 million customers or 33 million customers, it's a difficult challenge to go and do. So as a startup with a smaller number of customers, it's a easier thing to do. Capturing this as early as possible has always been the uh, the nirvana, the kind of the go-to space. We, we did a session on fraud a while back, actually, and getting this access at the outset. We've all been through it. And you can you can you can see all the transactions through the aggregator site. So the fact that Aviva can do this directly, as opposed to an aggregator, or whatever else, is actually really interesting. Because everyone goes on there and says, "Oh, my car's in a garage," and you use external data to realise that that person hasn't got a garage. How can they possibly quote for that? Or the, you move the you move the dials up and down accordingly to get the lowest possible price point. The bigger issue here, though, is we're still selling on price. So we're using the rating factors and trying to reverse engineer them using the questions to get back to the lowest common denominator of price, as opposed to, I'll look after you if I've got a claim. And that's the bit that worries me still. So good that we're getting rid of fraud, because fraud costs every single person in the UK who's got a policy an amount of money. Um, but bad that we're still focused on price, price, price. Well, I well, think the, not, head of, well, the head of fraud does say by identifying suspicious behaviour at point of purchase, we've been able to provide our claims teams with more time to focus on genuine customers providing a better claims experience. Yeah. So they're saying while keeping their premiums low. I mean, I think they do understand the price will, will be a, a very important factor in the purchase of insurance, especially motor insurance in the UK for some time to come. But they are, they are aware of that. They are aware of the need to sort of make the humans focus on the humans and leave the technology to deal with the, you know, the, the other... The uh, fraud alerts. And the big question is whether actually they are um, transferring that uh, saving because of the detection of fraud back through to the consumer through a lower pr- premium, um, which is not necessarily an obvious um, of all the conversations I've had with insurers to date. Mm. Yes, no, no, that is something that I think we need, we need to watch this and see whether that actually happens. Um, so our next story is not a story, but stories. So the, the headline, if you like, is that um, research houses have gone all out on insure tech research. We've had uh, three separate reports published this week. One came from Capgemini and EFMA, which is the World Insure Tech Report which is their inaugural InsureTech report, um, and it's subtitled Collaborative Approach Between Incumbent Insurers and InsureTech's Gains Traction. Snappy. Uh, Nigel, I believe Deloitte also had something along these lines come out this week. We did, and there's no coincidence that all the uh, providers are working towards the data, getting everything out for uh, InsureTech Connect in Vegas. I was actually with Bill Sullivan, and my, I was formerly with Capgemini, as people know, um, and the team that did the InsureTech report. Again, a great piece of research from Bill and his team uh, about what's going on in the market. Uh, 
Deloitte equally have done a piece around uh, the second wave leveraging data from people like FT Partners. Uh, and it, again, I think this was this was back to our our view of Vegas in general to say this is really proving or putting the evidence down on the table to say actually we've moved past uh, money is there, but actually the number of net new incumbents is is reducing, but money is still there to invest in ones potentially at later stages that make a difference. Yeah, and it's interesting that. I find um, that whilst um, the UK, when Europe and the UK in particular, are very much at the forefront of new models, new products, and true innovation in insurance, actually the funding levels hasn't been as strong as you would have in the US, um, which is a bit sad considering that we've got such a great competitive advantage as a nation here. Um, whilst we've, we're delighted to have actually announced last week at uh, ITC that we um, we raised 3 million euros um, seed led by uh, Burger Capital, which is probably one of the largest seeds. Um, now, there are super seeds, which are even higher, uh, like Buzz, I think, uh, uh, six we'll or six million. But yeah, from the seed level, it's certainly one of the largest. And it's, um, you know, but that is kind of a, a an exception rather than a rule um, compared to the US where, you know, on an angel round, they'll have 2 million already lined up. Which is uh, which dwarfs the investment that we're getting in the UK? Yeah, I mean that that does match the sort of general fintech investment as well. I don't think insurtechs are uh, behind other kinds of fintechs when it comes to attracting the levels um, of investment. You know, European fintechs versus US fintechs, I think, see the same thing. Um, but but I think that insurtech, we are, I mean, quite ahead of, I mean, significantly ahead, uh, and that's partly because the market in the UK is significantly ahead it of what maturity. there is maturity. maturity. Yeah. So, you know, in, in the US, it's kind of dominated by brokers as opposed to direct-to-consumer we have here. Aggregators are a minority in the US versus a majority here. Um, and so we've got much more advanced distribution channel of consumer lines. And in terms of commercial lines, we've got one of the biggest insurance kind of centers in the world with the London market. So we've got such, with such amazing competitive advantage as a nation uh, in insurance as a whole, and innovation taking place here, you really would expect a lot more capital flowing towards it. Was it was um, Deloitte report was that Europe centric? Because Cap Gemini's is a global insurtech report, um, so it's uh, the the results I have in front of me. Uh, sorry, the findings I have in front of me are slightly more broad. I mean, they're positive again. It's sort of you know sixty seven percent of insurers said insurtechs can redefine customer experience, which is what you're talking about. You know, distribution and direct to direct to customer models. Thirty seven percent said they could bring in new business models, which is interesting because I don't think we've seen an awful lot of that yet. And 35% felt that uh, insurtechs would enhance incumbents' insurance capabilities. Whatever that means, <laughs> feels a little bit broad. Um, was was the Deloitte one global as well? Or it, was it, it, it was. Actually, I, I got it wrong. It wasn't FT Park. It was a venture scanner. Apologies. That led the data behind this. And it was a global report that looked at, again, all lines of business. Again, still showing that personalised is getting most of the money. No surprise there. I, I'm just going back to your point about the US versus UK and the money out there because I, st- I, still, I still get really frustrated with this. We seem to be more mature yet get less of the action when it comes to investment into how we then deliver those into the market going forward, which is quite frustrating, I guess, as a as a InsureTech founder, Dylan. I don't know what your view there is. Uh, yes, well, <laughs> I'm certainly <laughs> going to concur with money, you. <laughs> we just, We just, I think the reality for, I mean, I think it's the reality for most insur- European startups is that we have less money to deliver on more um, before the next round. And so we've got very f- few opportunities of having failures along the way to iterate to get to the next um, stage. 
Um, and in tech, I think what we're dealing with is just even a smaller group, kind of um, spectrum of investors. And because, you know, insurance is quite opaque and investors want to be investing in stuff they understand. So there's, uh, and there are not many in, in investors who have got, uh, who got their heads around the insurance market and understand where real kind of innovation and disruption can be taking place. But back to your maturity point as well, you know, you go back to the US and aggregators are still emerging as opposed to mature, you know, they've been around for 20 years here. Um, and you could argue taking out some of the value and pushing us back to price by default. That's starting to happen now in the US and other countries, but it's not, it's not fully there, right? No. Um, but you, what you'll find is a lot. So I see to your point, you were saying, Actually, a lot of the um, uh, innovation is actually just distribution. That's not the case. So new products is really can't be just about distribution. I think that's one of the things we're absolutely adamant about. And why we created a new model of insurance is actually customer experience. If you want to improve that, it's not about just a shiny new app on the front end. It has to be on a better delivery of, of the customer experience when you claim. That's why. So we started with mobile phone insurance in the UK. We will have a phone in your hand the next working day, as opposed to four to 18 days by our competition. But that's because we're obsessed about providing an amazing customer experience. So my, my concern is not that there aren't new models, it's new business models, it's new ways of making money. And I haven't really seen that yet. I've seen a lot of people finding ways to cut costs. And I've seen a lot of, you know, people finding new ways to um, find new customer groups and serve demographics better. But the, I haven't seen anybody... The world and stuff like that. Yeah, but I haven't seen really very many people find a new way to create new change insurance from its fundamentals. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying you don't do it. I'm just saying <laughs> that like you're one of however many hundreds of insurance. Yeah, we're not, not, not many. Startups, right? There's they're a couple. Many, yeah. a small handful. Yeah, yeah. it's not many. Um, it's true. But, um, but to, it, move it, sorry, I was just saying, to move us on, because this, this does tie into this. So the next story um, is about uh, an InsureTech Europe uh, accelerator. So trying to bring some of that focus back to Europe. Um, this is that 17 startups have been selected for batch one of the InsureTech Europe powered by Plug and Play program. Uh, so Plug and Play um, are a global organization. Um, these startups will join batch one of the innovation platform launched last year in November um, by Plug and Play InsureTech and InsureTech Hub Munich. Um, the corporate partners on the platform include really big names. I'm going to say the ones I can and not the German ones. I will say Allianz, Munich Re, uh, Irish Life, Willis Towers, Watson, Re. Yeah, goodness knows. It's very German. Feel free to look it up. Um, during the next three months, the startups will be introduced to Plug and Play's corporate partners, have the chance to work with various business units to evaluate proofs of concepts, pilot projects, and investment opportunities. Uh, Plug and Play does not take equity as a prerequisite, which is interesting, um, to join the program, and there is no cost for the startups. Um, I'll just give you a, a sample of some, just because we, we like to give people an idea of who's who's kind of been uh, included on these. So one is called Plus Simple, which is a financial services platform for freelancers and small and medium-sized businesses. Um, Anorak, we actually uh, had David Vanek, the CEO of Anorak, on episode 20 of InsureTech Insider. Um, for those who have forgotten or didn't listen, firstly, shame on you. Secondly, uh, Anorak is a smart life insurance advice platform which gives everyone easy access to personalised, regulated, transparent and impartial life insurance advice. And the third example here, though obviously there are 17, um, is Tapali, um, which is an InsureTech platform that offers on-demand insurance to freelancers, contractors and SMEs with a focus on the sharing and gig economy. Um, and so Jan Tana, um, who runs that company, was on episode 22 and episode 8 of InsureTech Insider. So awesome, right? I said about five minutes ago. So <laughs> she it's a literally, small world. She works in the same offices. Um, but sorry, uh, Dylan, to my point, I just wanted to bring it back around to that. I wonder if the solution... If you think this is a kind of solution to those problems you're outlining, or if you think that this is there are actually more constructive ways to help uh, European insurtechs get that funding, are these kind of programs a good thing? Because well, we have people all guess on this show, some of whom think they're brilliant, and some of whom are like, no, nah, it doesn't work. 
So I wondered if, you know, to solve some of those problems you're mentioning there, this is, this is, you know, progress or actually there are better ways of doing it. So uh, with every new uh, accelerator being created, I think the jury's out every time on um, what's actually delivered in the end. But the, um, uh, partly because, I mean, they're not the first ones. And Short Tech Gateway in the UK is already there. Um, there's another one in northern Germany. Uh, Woody Lab? Could be. Um, there's Startup Bootcamp, which has been around for a few years now. Um, there's, I mean, this is just Europe. 500 startups is a whole 500 host, startups, right? uh, absolutely. Um, although they're kind of, uh, in terms of the, I mean, they, they backed us, um, but it was out of the kind of the, still the fintech arm is based out of Valley. So they are quite a... Um, a, a few and i think in terms of it's difficult in insurance because the reality is i'm i'm adamant about creating a fundamentally better customer experience and redesigning insurance to make to deliver that the reality of most of accelerators which work with incumbents are effectively going to be looking at companies which are performance improvement for the incumbents rather than necessarily disruptors of the incumbents and that's partly because the model works on the basis that the incumbents are investors in the fund uh, or the accelerator or certainly kind of got vested interests and are going to be there to be um, supporting the startups. So that's number one in terms of disruption. Are we going to see much disruption coming out of that? I have a question mark. The second question, I think, is about how effective are they at um, managing the resources and corralling the incumbents' resources during the accelerator to really add value to the startups. And the reason I, ask that, I say that is because insurance, if you think the banking moves at a slow pace, insurance moves at a glacial pace. And We're so, not that bad, surely. <laughs> You're not, but no, Dylan's not the first person I've had to say that. <laughs> I'm fighting the good fight here. <laughs> um, and so the, uh, as a result... Just getting a meeting and actually having taking things forward and in, in, a, in, in a meaningful manner can take a long time. Time is not something that is in the, in the, uh, in the startups kind of luxury. And therefore, a, an accelerator which is able to corral those resources very effectively can really make a big difference. And I think that's what uh, GIA in uh, Iowa uh, was focused on to and have senior execs of the insurance companies um, personally involved in vetting and delivering on supporting those businesses. I think, uh, I think uh, Techstar, Barclays Techstar in the uh, fintech side has been very effective in doing that. Um, so I think um, the jury's out. It's great to have another, another player. It, it, you know what? It increases the, the awareness and increases the amount of investment potentially going into the space. So I'm, I'm absolutely spot on for it. I just uh, hope they are able to deliver disruption, not just improvement. But I, look, I look at these and I, you see them every day. And in fact, when this was announced, I think it was announced while we were in, in Vegas last week, people come out and some of the statements were oh, another day, another accelerator. And they seem to be happening day in, day out, which is quite a challenge, right? So how do you differentiate? I look at them and go from a Tapley perspective, why would Jan Thanda go into this when she's already built a business that's working successfully in the UK, entering a new market? And I guess for that sort of stuff, you'd sit there and say, actually, how does Jan Thanda go and get access to a net new market? So if they've got, this is a Germany accelerator, if they've got access to Germany that she couldn't have got previously and doesn't have to give away equity to do it, has to give away time, then that gamble is an interesting an interesting bet for her to go take to get access to that market going forward. And ultimately, Germany is a really interesting insurance market, right? 
Possibly. We believe you. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, I think that the, the, think the, the point that everybody kind of agrees on at this point is um, they raise awareness, they raise interest, but the efficacy is as yet unproven um, and the jury is out. So I'm, do, you want to, do you want to cover the final story? Do you want to finish with this one? I'll do the final story as well, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, no, oh. I just like, we need to oh, sorry, okay. make a decision. As <laughs> um, you say, the, on, the, on, the, on the accelerator piece, we had we had a startup bootcamp on the show mm-hmm. and they previously used to take equity, but their new model doesn't take equity. So I think you'll see how the accelerators are changing, number one, to suit the increased competition in even in the accelerator space. Never mind the insurtech space, which is thousands of startups now, there's now competition in the accelerator space as well. So therefore they have to change their models to make sure they're best fit to uh, their target audience going forward. So, so they don't take equity where they invest. Slightly different but there is an investment still typically made. And I think those nuances are things that um, uh, any startup looking to participate in Accelerator has to really take into account and look at carefully. Um, Right, to bring us back full circle, our final story today comes from Insurance Times and it's BuzzMove gears up to launch smart app-based home insurance product. Uh, So the InsurTech, which secured £6 million in a super seed funding round in August, uh, will launch um, the product which was first announced back in February. So the the product is called BuzzVault. It uses a smart inventory tool to log items in a personalised digital vault, which can be matched accurately to book certified removal homes. So if you're moving um, house, it can accurately log what you have and what it's worth. Um, And then subsequently, uh, it'll help you get quotes for your home insurance. It's free to use and update. um, And the, the aim is basically to reduce administration costs and lengthen the application and claims procedures like many other startups um, in this space. The interesting uh, point on this one is that it's focusing on that moving. So with the most important piece of information being what you are moving, um, the firm uses a 15-minute FaceTime call as a means of consultation to create a whole inventory. So I don't think I've come across an insure tech that focuses on ensuring the content of your house whilst you're moving yet. Uh, it's quite, it feels quite niche. It's, no, it's, uh, so congratulations to Becky and to Charlotte and the entire team there, um, also out in Vegas, uh, sharing what they're up to in that space, which was really cool. Um, and going back to the accelerator story, one that went through the original startup bootcamp. So again, links back to say, actually see what they've got to as a result of, of what they're doing. This one's backed again by, um, by Munich Re. Um, and also to add one more buzzword to the equation, sits on blockchain. <laughs> so, uh, well, I wondered if it did still sit on blockchain because that word has disappeared from all the press releases this ooh, time around. I'll have to go back and ask. Yeah, the, go uh, back and find out for us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it does, and there's been developing away. Um, but we'll, we'll certainly check. But I think actually it's really interesting because that the when you do your annual insurance policy, and again, I did mine last night by pure coincidence, you sit there and you start estimating what you've got or whatever else, you put a blanket number in. What better time to capture all that sort of stuff than when it's been shifted out of one property and into the next one? So by taking that register and tracking what you've got that's important that you want to get a fair assessment of is the most perfect time to go and assess that. So instead of having guys sitting there with clipboards and and saying you need seven boxes, you've now got a really up-to-date and accurate inventory of what's in your property that actually needs insurance. So you get a, back to what Parcel were doing with the, the inventory stuff earlier. You've got a true inventory of what you what you need to ensure going forward. I guess the challenge, and when we get Charlotte or Becky on the show, we'll talk about how you actually maintain that going forward. Yeah, and how you uh, maintain, you know, how, how you build enough customers. Uh, you know, you only move house, like, well, thank God, you only move house every now and again. Um, but yeah, no, um, well done to them for getting that product live. Um, and, you know, also for that funding round, which is, as we've already discussed, is not insignificant. I think the key thing for them was they announced on LinkedIn, I think, that they had FCA authorization and approval. So they're now a regulated authority. Another well done to them. So um, that wraps up this discussion. Thanks you so much to everyone for joining us. Uh, Where can our listeners find out more about you, Nigel? You'll find me on Twitter at Nigel Walsh. 
And Dylan, how about you? Uh, Twitter, db underscore entrepreneur, or otherwise wearesosure.com. Brilliant. And you can find me um, going around the world this month, but you can also find me on Twitter at Sarah Koshansky. It'll be a podcast pause from me for the rest of the month. I hope you will enjoy the peace and quiet. That wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you so much to my guests. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe. And please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback or questions, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11 of us.com. Thank you.